So just to start off with, this is the key verse for tonight. Like, this is the start of everything. This is where we need to start, and this is where we need to end. It's Philippians 2, 3 through 4. How many of you guys have ever read this verse before? Anybody ever heard this verse? Okay. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Let's, I, want, I want us to get it in our heads. Let's, let's read it out loud together. It's easy because it's there. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. So cool. So I was looking for a verse to me that kind of tied together what our hero in the Hunger Games stands for. And to me, if I think of any Bible verse I can attribute to Katniss Everdeen, it would be Philippians 2, 3 through 4. I think she lives this verse out. And I think we see it most clearly in the iconic scene. Remember it. In the movie, everyone's gathered together. They're in District 12. They're, they're getting ready to pick the tribute, that one kid a year who goes forward to fight to the death in this gruesome, hideous contest called the Hunger Games. And who gets picked? Who's the girl? Prim. Her... Katniss's baby little sister. And Katniss like freaks out and she's like, I volunteers tribute. That's not a good Katniss voice. But it brings me to my first point, which is we're talking about heroes tonight. A hero puts the needs of others first always. Okay? I'm gonna give you an example of the opposite of that. I was in bed sleeping, okay? Dreaming heroic dreams where I'm scaling buildings in a single bound and stopping trains with my hand, you know? I'm like, oh, I'm a hero. I felt good about myself. And then reality came crashing in because my wife woke me up and said, Hey, there's a spider! And like instantly, like I wake up, I'm like, what? And I look and like, I kid you not, my first, the first thing I saw first thing in the morning was this, like it was like this big and it was like, <laughs> like it was crawling so fast on the bed. And I literally like, like jumped up, like my wife described it as like I started running on air and I was like, ah! and I ran to the door and, and, I, and as I was running, like my feet kicked up all the covers onto her, trapping her onto the bed with the spider. So an opposite of a hero, not putting the needs of others above my own needs to get away from the spider. Sorry, Brooklyn. Um, basically, my point is a lot of life is looking out for number one. Um, a lot of life is doing what we think is best to stay alive, to get to the top, to survive. But a hero puts the needs of others first. I mean, think about it. Batman. Batman's never like, I think I'll take the day off. Those criminals, they don't need me to stop them. I'm going to bed. No, he doesn't do that. He goes out and fights crime every single night. Why? Because he's Batman. Because he's Batman. He goes out and fights criminals. Firefighters, those are real heroes, real life heroes. Do you think they ever like go into a burning building and they're like, ouch, those flames are really hot. I don't want to go in there today. I'm just, okay, I'm not going to do that. Like, no, they never do that. They're firemen. They go into the building because they're heroes. They're selfless. Katniss is selfless. She looks at her family. She looks at her sister and goes, I need to do something to help her. I'm going to lay my own life on the line. I'm going to join this crazy suicide mission. I'm going to get in on this hunger game. 
I don't want my sister to have to do it. I'm going to take her place and do it for her. She volunteers to save her sister, and she refuses to murder innocent people. She joins the Hunger Games. She gets in there, and then what does she do? She's, she's not going around shooting like every little kid. That's, like, I got so bothered when I watched the first Hunger Games because I worked. I was a junior high pastor at the time. And I'm watching these like middle school kids get like maimed. And I was just sitting there and I was like angry. I was like, I want to jump through the screen and just like murder all the bad guys because this is wrong. And Brooklyn's like, calm down. It's a movie. I'm like, I don't care. It's, it's wrong. I was so like bummed out when I saw The Hunger Games. And I'm glad I, that the next movie is coming out because I want to see the evil people get justice. But hung, uh, Katniss, I almost called her Hunger Lady. Uh, Katniss get, gets into the games and she's not going around killing innocent people. She's like like Solid Snake style, I don't know if anyone gets that, Metal Gear Solid, like, like in the game Metal Gear Solid, you can go in, you can just shoot people, but you get points if you just like sneak around and like don't murder people and like let everyone else kill each other. That's what Katniss does. She refuses to murder innocent people and she puts the needs of other people first, like her sister and Rue and all these other people. We can be selfish people, though. A lot of times, we are not acting this way. A lot of times, we're not looking out for others. We're looking out for number one. We're the selfie generation. That's what your guys' generation and my generation, actually, uh, if I'm honest, that's what we've been labeled as, is the selfie generation. We're always taking pictures of ourselves constantly and hashtagging them, weird things. And I think society reaches the pinnacle of narcissism when it gets to the point with funeral selfies. Look at these, okay? Funeral selfies. It's at his grandma's funeral, Nana's funeral, suited and booted, like for like. Like, his grandma passed away, but he's like, hey, I want to get a like. Check out my bicep. It's dumb. And this guy's just like, car ride to the funeral selfie. Check out my pointy hair. It's just dumb. Like, here's a couple other ones. These girls. Cried off all my makeup, though. Yeah. But funeral, I don't know how to pronounce that. It like, looks like a sad alien. I don't know what that is. Um, Android. And this lady, she's like, love my hair, hate why I'm dressed up, hashtag funeral. So sad. There's more. These guys, look at these guys, 44 likes. Who likes this stuff? Boyfriend, hashtag boyfriend, hashtag gorgeous, hashtag funeral, hashtag granddad, hashtag wake, hashtag hipster, hashtag tags for like, hashtag photo of the day, hashtag like, hashtag fall. Ow? I know. <laughs> like, they're trying to be so cool at their granddad's funeral. That is so sad to me. This girl's just like depressing funeral selfie. And then this, this like she's not even at the funeral. She's just in her room. So I don't, I don't know. And then this is my least favorite one. Um, we're those awkward people who take a picture smiling at a funeral. Funeral selfie, hashtag best friends. You're not awkward. You're selfish. It's awkward how selfish you are. Can you imagine if you were at like a funeral and it was a bunch of old grandpas and grandmas taking selfies at their grandkids funeral you'd be disgusted you'd be like this is the worst thing ever but a lot of times we get a free pass because we're youth like a lot of times it's like well we expect you to act mature because you're young people we expect you to act crazy and 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 that's your excuse but but here's here's an interesting quote from the hunger games okay there's a quote keith sutherland's dad says this Aim higher in case you fall short. Who knows who said that line? Anybody? Kiefer Sutherland's dad? He played, he played Senator Summer. President Snow. Okay, it was President Snow. He played the villain. So it's like, why are we taking advice from the villain? I just think it's a good quote because, listen, there's some truth in it. He's talking to Katniss, right? He's saying, listen, Katniss, you better aim higher 
in case you fall short. So it's like menacing. But I think there's truth in this menacing quote because the Bible says we've all sinned and what? For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We tried to shoot it. We tried to hit it. We missed the mark. The truth is we're always going to fall short and mess up. Now, to someone who doesn't know Jesus, this sounds like an invitation to be lazy, you know? Like, if I'm going to fall short, then why even try? I'll just aim really low. Some of you guys might know people like that in life. They just aim really low. They just kind of coast. They never really try to do anything or accomplish anything. As a believer, I think we need to aim higher. As a believer, I think we need to shoot higher because, yeah, we'll fall short, but Jesus makes up the distance. Whatever you try for, whatever you shoot for, you're probably going to fall short of your target, but Jesus is with you, and he's going to make up the distance. He's going to do what you can't do. For example, think of this. So if I'm hanging out with Superman, because that's what I do, because I'm friends with Superman. If I'm hanging out with him, and we're in the city, and Superman comes to me, and he says, Aaron, see this baseball? Let's throw it to the top of the Empire State Building. Now, if I'm with Superman, I know that can be done, because I'll throw it, and it'll probably get like three feet in the air. It'll, it'll probably get, you know, some number of feet in the air, and it won't reach the top. But Superman's going to come and swoop it up and get it there. If Superman gave me that kind of invitation, I don't want to be lame. I don't want to be like, I don't want to like lowball it. Like, I don't want to throw it like at the ground and make him die for it and then like drag it all the way up. I want to throw it as high as I possibly can. I want to do my very best, and it'll probably be pathetic, but I'm going to try my very best and throw it as high as I can, and the Superman will come and swoop up the ball and throw it to the top. Listen, the practical thing is do your best, and Jesus takes care of the rest. Because listen, I was talking with a student friend recently, and we were talking about school, and I was talking about my struggles in school, because when I went to school here, you know, I didn't think I needed school. And I got lucky, you know, because I did graphic design, and, and, I, and I thought that, you know, when I started my business at 15 and started making money, I totally thought it was all because of me. You know, I was like, I'm so good, because I was making decent money. And then very quickly... It became very hard to get a job, and I realized God provided me with the money that I needed. Like, I'm not rich. I made some money, and then I had to spend it on things like cars breaking down and, and taxes and, and, like, crazy, like, just adult problems that I didn't expect to hit me when I was 15. My money's all gone now. But the crazy thing is God was there to lead me to all the things I did. So I look back, and I'm like, it's a good thing that God provided me with all the jobs I had because... I didn't really try as hard as I should have in school. And I was talking to a student, and we were talking about school, and it's like, why even try? Why even try to do good in school? The, the answer to that question, guys, is because God has called you to it for this time of your life. He's put you in school, whether you're a high schooler or whether you're going into college or whether you are in college, you are where God has placed you, and he's called you to aim high. He's called you to shoot high and aim high. And listen, sometimes you'll fall and you'll make mistakes, but Sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll fail a test. Sometimes you will. You will absolutely do your best to pass that test, but you will, make, you will, get a, you will fail. Whether failing for you is a straight-up F or it's maybe for you failing is a B or maybe for you failing is a C, and, and that's unacceptable for you, at times you're going to get that bad grade, and it's going to be very unsettling, and it's going to be hard. There's going to be other times where maybe you mismanage your time. Maybe you procrastinate. Maybe you put things off. No, none of you guys would ever do that, right? I, I mean, that's like the story of my life. Like, up every night trying to write my paper, like making 20 runs to the kitchen to get Cheez-Its. Like, like, I'd be like, in 1927, Moses parted the Red Sea. 
That makes no sense. Okay. <laughs> he wasn't around back then or in the future. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Listen. Do your best, and God will take care of the rest. Jesus covers the distance. Here's what I want to really encourage you guys with in this, because I know grades are a big deal right now. You do your best. You shoot high. Jesus will help you. There's going to be times where it's hard. There's going to be times where you will mismanage your time. You will make a mistake. You will fall down on your face. But then you get back up, and you get back up again, because here's the thing. Jesus is here for you. And there's something I want you guys to all keep in your hearts and minds, because this is really dear to me, okay? This goes against everything culture says. And it's not an excuse to be lazy, but it's an encouragement. Here it is. There's no bad grade that can separate you from God's ultimate plan for your life. And you need to hear that. You do your best, but if you try your hardest and you don't make valedictorian, if you work just yourself to the bone and maybe you don't get into that class or maybe you don't get accepted into that college that you've been dreaming of because you didn't have that grade, you're going to sit there and you're going to think, everything I put my life into, it's now, it's gone. All my plans. Listen, God's plan never changes for you. He knew it from the beginning of time. He knew you were going to bomb that test. He knew that you weren't going to get into that college. Do you think he's surprised? Do you think he's bummed out? Do you think he's disappointed in you? No, he's like, I'm here for you. My plan for you is good. My future for you is good. Walk in it and be encouraged. No bad grade can separate you from what God has in store for your life. Do your best. Jesus will take care of the rest. You're called to follow God. We're called to be heroes of the faith. And we're called to put the needs of others before our own. But what we need to understand is something first, and that's on the next slide here. My next point is a hero voluntarily chooses God's will over their own, right? A hero voluntarily chooses to follow God's will. Let me tell you the story of Gideon, okay? Gideon was a guy in the Bible. His name means destroyer and mighty warrior. But if you looked at him, you would think his name meant weak geek. He was scrawny. He was not good at anything. Basically, the Midianites, an enemy of Israel, they, they go in, they start just torturing people. They start taking people captive. Like, imagine if in America, like, another country came in and just, like, all of a sudden just ran us out of the churches, ran us out of our homes. We have to hide in caves. That's what's going on for Israel. So Gideon, he's trying to help his family. He's trying to make bread. He's threshing wheat, but he's not doing it in a normal place where he would. He's hiding in a wine cellar. He's like, I can't let them find me. I can't let them find me. All of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, Gideon, you are called to serve the Lord and follow him. You are called to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon goes, uh, I am the weakest guy in Israel. My family is just known, their reputation is the weakest family in Israel, and I am known as the weakest guy in my family. Why would you come to me, you crazy angel? And the angel says, you have been chosen. Whoa, you have been chosen. Now you, there we go. You have been chosen, Simba. Anyway, oh my gosh. So he says, you've been chosen by God for something great. So Gideon says, okay, okay, I need a sign. So he goes through this weird thing with God. Have you guys ever tried to test God? Like, have you ever tried to say, like, God, look, I'll make you a deal if you do this, if you prove it to me. Has anyone done that? I have, right? Okay. So Gideon, he, it's really weird. He goes over to a sheep, and he's like, yank! And he rips off some sheep wool, and he puts it on the ground, and he says, God, listen, if I wake up in the morning and the carpet is completely wet, but this little sheep wool is dry, then I know 
I know that it's your will. Gets up in the morning, his carpet is completely wet, and the sheep skin wool is completely dry. For me, that'd probably be enough, but he, like, doesn't, he really doesn't want to do it. So he says, okay, you know what? It, that could have been anything. Like, somebody could have come and, like, peed all over the carpet. Like, that, there's, that, you, that wasn't you. <laughs> and they, they would have just missed that sheep skin. So he says, all right, God, if I wake up and the carpet is all dry, but the sheep's wool is all completely just soaking, then I know it was you. So he wakes up, carpet's completely dry. It was wet the day before, completely dry, and the sheep's wool is just soaking. So he goes, okay, fine, I'll do it. So he goes around and he gets an army. I don't know how he did it because he was known as the weakest guy. If Steve Urkel, did, does anyone get that reference? Steve Urkel? Yeah, okay. Who's another weak guy? I'm trying to think. If Napoleon Dynamite showed up to your door and was like, hey, we're going to start a revolution and we need a bunch of people to join an army, it's going to be super sick with like bow staffs. Like, would you join him? No, you'd be like, get out of here, Napoleon. This is dumb. Gideon shows up and he's like, we're, we're going we're to start this sweet army. We're going to fight the Midianites. He gets, let me see, I have the numbers. He gets 22,000 people to sign up for this crazy army. So they sign up to go fight the Midianites. You know what God says? He shows up to Gideon. He says, Gideon, your army is too big. God's like, or Gideon's like, Those, they have like, like millions of people over there in the Midianite camp. 22,000 men, like, that's good, God. Like, let, let us keep that. And God's like, reduce the army. So he cuts it down to 10,000 people. And God's like, it's still too big. And Gideon's like, what? what? No, no. So he does this weird thing. God says, uh, take your guys to the creek. Tell everyone to take a drink. Everyone who, like, cups their hand and, like, drinks out of their hand like a normal person, you can tell them that they can go home. But all the weirdos who stick their face into the water and, like, lap it up like puppies, you can tell those weirdos they can stay. So, <laughs> so everybody, like, like, basically, he's down to 300 weirdos who stuck their face and were, like, like, lapping up the water like a bunch of crazy people. 300 people, okay? Three, and these aren't 300, like, in the movie 300. These aren't trained Spartans. These are, like, back yokel farmer slack-jawed idiots with pitchforks. It's crazy, okay? So then he... <laughs> I love, this is one of my favorite Bible stories. Um, I, love, I would love to just teach a whole study on this sometime. I'm speeding through it. Basically, so then he goes up to the hill where all the Midianites are camping out. And he's like, all right, we got 300 people. So basically, we're going to die. But at least we'll go out fighting. So we got our swords. We got our spears. We got our bows. And God's like, throw those away. <laughs> he's like, what? So he throws all the weapons away. And he's like, all right, God. So you got machine guns, right? Like chainsaws. Like you got like a real weapon for us. And God's like, here's some trumpets. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Here's some vases. <laughs> like vases. Like the stuff your grandma keeps like potted plants in. So he gives him trumpets and vases. And then he says to Gideon, Gideon's like, okay, so what are we doing? Like, are we going to like run down and hit him to death with these trumpets? Are we going to like smash these pots? I can work with that, God. I can work with this. And God's like, what you're going to do is you're going to blow the trumpets. Oh, and wake everybody up. Yes. <laughs> and then you're going to yell the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. We don't have swords. I know. Then you're going to take the vases, our only weapon. Yes. <laughs> and then you're going to smash them. <laughs> Just smash them to pieces. In their faces? No. 
just mad. Long story short, it's like suicide mission. So he, they, they, they blow the trumpet. They go, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And then they take the pots and they smash them. Here's what happens down in the camp. The guys in the camp wake up and they hear, they hear trumpet. And they're like, whoa, 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 trumpets. And then they hear the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And I don't know if there was like weird acoustics on that hill and God amplified them. But to them, it sounded like there was like millions of people surrounding them, like surround sound. And then they hear all these like crashing, like it's the pots being smashed. And they think, oh my gosh, they brought in the crazy weapons. We don't have crazy weapons. We're all in our pajamas. They get up. They're so scared. They're like, oh, they, what are you? They start stabbing everybody. Like, sorry, Rick. You're like they, and they all die. They all die. They kill each other. Okay. Long story short, practical application. All the time we see God doing things that seem like the worst idea ever. God says to you, hey, I've got a plan for you. Hey, go to this school now. What? I don't know anyone there. That's the worst plan ever. God says, hey, I know what your parents are telling you to do. Sounds crazy, but just do it. God, my parents are the worst. You don't know them. Their rules are the worst. That's the worst plan ever. God says, hey, you see that kid over there that you don't even like? Go be his friend. Go spend two weeks learning about him and getting to know him being his friend. That's the worst idea ever. None of my friends will like me after you do that. Why do you always tell me to do the worst things ever? Story of Israel's life. Like everything, David and Goliath. Like, hey, there's a guy who's 15 feet. Let's get a midget to fight him. Like, hey, here is a wall. Instead of trying to knock it down, let's blow trumpets. God has a thing for trumpets, apparently. Like, that's his weapon of choice. God is always telling people to do things that don't make sense. For me, it was youth ministry. That didn't make sense. I don't want to, like, hurt any of your feelings, but, uh, like, probably about nine years ago now, I didn't really like any of you. <laughs> I was 15, 16, thinking about myself, and... Um, I got, I didn't want to do youth ministry. I wanted to go to Hollywood and make movies and do voiceovers and do crazy stuff. And Trevor O'Keefe was like, you should come to camp, man. I was like, nope, not going to do it. And then he's like, what if we pay you? You can come up and make a movie about camp. And I was like, all right. So the only reason I got involved with youth ministry is because they paid me. I like, they paid me 300 bucks to come up and make a movie. That, that was the price of my ministry. Totally selfish reasons. I go up there, God just grabs a hold of my heart and was like, this is what I want you to do for the rest of your life. And he continued to show me that over the years. Started volunteering, and now I, I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you so much, God. If I had tried to go to Hollywood and I would be like, like every other failed, like starving artist, waiter that I know who tried to make it big, I wouldn't have made it big. I know my limitations. But God pointed me here, and I'm so thankful that I'm here. I love you guys. You guys are like my little brothers and sisters. I, I have an opportunity that like not a lot of guys that I know have to be with you guys in junior high and now be with you guys in high school. It's, it's phenomenal, and I'm so thankful to God that he took what to me didn't sound like a good idea, and now I look back and I'm like, that was the best idea ever, God. I had no idea. And that's what he wants to do in your life. There's things he's telling you now that you're like, that is the worst idea. And if you just follow him, you're going to look back and say, God, I'm so thankful. Like, I, I wake up every day, and I love what I do. I want you guys to be able to do that. Not that you're all going to be pastors, but, but God has something for you. He has a life. He has a plan where you're going to wake up, and you're going to be like, God, thank you for this job I have. God, thank you for this husband I have. Thank you for this wife. Like, I'm so glad I waited for you. to. God, thank you for my kids. One day you're going to say, you're like, Lord, I had no idea that this was in store for me. 
if you just walk in his will? Are you willing to let his will be greater than your own? We're called to do this, and we're called to put the needs of others before our own. But before we do that, we'll need help. That's why I want to go to this next slide. Okay, who likes that guy? Anybody a fan? I'm a fan. He's my favorite. <laughs> I, I watched uh, the actor who played him on a show recently, and he's such a goober. He's like the biggest dork. Have you guys ever seen Woody Harrelson in like anything else? He's like the biggest. I love him. He's such a big goofball. Anyway, totally off topic. Okay. Every hero, I'll get serious. Every hero in a world where every hero has a path, one man. What if I just taught like that the whole time? That'd be ridiculous. No. <laughs> every hero has a path, okay? Usually, he finds this path with the helps, with the helps, with the help of those who walked before him. Think of it. Lord of the Rings, Gandalf, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and then one of my favorites, Hamish. This guy is cool. He was in the Hunger Games back in the day. He went through it. He fought hard, and he won. He was a victor. He was a guy who had a lot that he could offer Katniss and Peeta and everybody else. He was wise. He'd been through it. He got drunk a lot, so that's one thing against him. But besides that, he had a lot of good advice. Now, I just want to throw this up because it's funny. <laughs> They switched the faces. Okay, so back to the slide. Okay, so you're walking a path. Listen, you're walking a path. You didn't create the path that you're on. The path that you're on has been created by God, and it's been walked on before by other people. In some, in some cases, that means pastors. In some cases, that means teachers. In some cases, that means siblings. But a lot of times, that means parents. And some of you guys are going to be like, what, like, one, one of the, I'm not going to say who, but someone, as soon as I said parents, someone looked at me like, <laughs> you know who you are. Um, some of you are going to be like, my parents aren't as cool as that guy. My parents, you can't compare my parents to Hamish. Some of you guys see your parents as lame old people. Some of you guys see your parents as out of touch, weird, awkward. Some of you guys see your parents as obstacles to your fun. You're like, I want to have fun, but I got to get through them and past them and just, and, and I'll ask mom, hey, can I do this? And then I'll ask dad, and then I'll just go with whoever said yes, because that's what we do. Um, some of you guys see your parents as annoying. Some of you guys see your parents as mean and far too punishing. Um, I was talking with Rob Tackaberry today. He's our college guy. And uh, Rob Tackaberry was saying, when you look at an orange tree, start talking about an orange tree. He's like, when you look at an orange tree, you see what it is. It's big. And it's awesome, and it has oranges, and it's like really colorful, and it's really awesome. People look at it, and they're like, whoa, check out that orange tree. But a lot of people don't care about the process of what it took to make that orange tree. Like, no one's like, oh my gosh, that seed was so great. And oh my gosh, whoever watered that tree, that, that guy was amazing. Whoever took care of that soil and fertilized it, that guy was amazing. You don't really do that. Like, I don't really do that. When I see an orange tree, I just look at the orange tree, and I'm like, that is amazing. Guys, in the same way, a lot of times we just care about the finished product. We look at somebody, we look at someone your age, and it's just, we see them for who they are. You look at your life, and you see where you're at, and you see your abilities, you see your talents, you see your strengths. A lot of times we don't want to look at our weaknesses, so we just look at our strengths all the time, and we look at what's going on good in our life, and then we treat our parents like dirt. And we don't remember the process that it took to get us here. A lot of us don't remember when we were one years old, sitting on our parents' shoulder, throwing up all over their face as they held us 
taking care of us. A lot of us, we don't remember the diaper changes. At least I don't. I'm glad because that's weird. But a lot of us don't remember what it was like when our parents stayed up till four in the morning when we were crying and wouldn't let them go to sleep. We don't remember that, but guess what your parents do? And every time you talk back to them and every time you tell them that you're ruining my life, I hate you, slam the door. I mean, they're thinking back and they're like, man, they used to be so cute. What happened? What has changed? Why are they treating me this way? We need to remember about what it took to get us here. Our parents went through a lot. And some of you guys know that more than others. Listen, I want to tell you guys the story of Abraham and Isaac. Here's the second Bible story for the night, okay? Really short. Abraham, God's chosen guy. God says, Abraham, you will be the father of many, many nations. Abraham goes, ha, I'm 90. And my wife's like 95. This is the worst idea ever. Please don't make us have a bunch of babies. This is such a bad idea, God. I'm 90. She's 95. Just let us die. Um, God's like, no, this is my plan. Um, They end up having a kid named Isaac. So Isaac grows up. He's about your age. He's in his teens. And he's the chosen one. He's like the guy who's supposed to, to bring forth the nation of Israel. And God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, or Abraham, I'm not going to do it. He says, Abraham, sacrifice Isaac. Abraham's like, well, like, like sacrifice his talents, his times, his giving. God's like, no, literally drag him up a mountain, put him on an altar and stab him. That is crazy. That is like, this is one of the hardest stories in the Bible for me. So he takes his son, Isaac. He says, Isaac, we got to go on a trip. Can you imagine if your dad's like, hey, we got to go on a trip? You're like, okay. And you're walking up this mountain, and your dad's like, we're going to make a sacrifice. And you're like, okay. And then you're like, where's the animal? And your dad's like, oh, God will provide a sacrifice. And you're like, why do you have such a big knife, dad? And your dad's like, you'll see. Like, that's what's going on. Like, it's, this is crazy. He gets up to the mountain. He's like, where's the sacrifice, dad? And Abraham's like, God has provided a sacrifice. And he puts Isaac on the altar. Isaac lets him. There's no record of a struggle. There's no record of going, Dad, you're ruining my life. Because literally, Abraham was. Like, he wasn't just, like, exaggerating. Like, you're so mean to me. Like, literally, Abraham's about to stab his kid. Like, his, Isaac's life is being ruined. Isaac's being put on the altar. He's about to get stabbed. Last minute, God stops Abraham and says, it was just a test. Here's a ram. Abraham kills the ram. Okay, Focus off Abraham for a second. Think of Isaac. Look at Isaac's sense of honor. He volunteers tribute. That's why we named this series Volunteer Tribute, is because to volunteer tribute in the Bible, if you look at the word tribute, another word for it is honor. So we're, looking, we're thinking of honor, honoring our parents, our teachers, our friends, our family. To volunteer tribute, it's to do it not because someone's forcing you, not because someone's tying you down to an altar and stabbing you, But because someone's like, hey, this is what I think God wants us to do, let's do it. And just doing it out of the goodness of your heart, how many of us, that's how we respond to our parents. When our parents say, hey, this is the direction that we're going, or hey, this is the punishment I chose, or hey, this is what's happening, how many times do we just go along with it? Isaac volunteers tribute. He says, you know what, you're my dad. I mean, think about it. This wasn't, hey, Isaac, mow the lawn. This wasn't, hey, Isaac, you can't have friends over until you do your homework. This wasn't, hey, Isaac, you got an F on math, so I'm taking your phone away from you. This was, hey, Isaac, go lie down on an altar and let me stab you. 
let me just be honest. My dad, Pastor Rob, if he came into my office and was like, hey, Aaron, I was thinking we can go up to the mountains for a nice relaxing trip this weekend, and I'd tie you down and stab you. I'd be like, I am calling the cops. I love you, but you need help. We're going to get you help. Back away. Like, I, that's what would be going on. But Isaac doesn't do that. He has probably one of the biggest senses of honor in the Bible besides Jesus, because the story of Abraham and Isaac was set up to be a prelude to Jesus, because think about it. God says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I'm going to send you down to earth. We're going to tie you up on a cross, and they're going to kill you. And Jesus is okay with that. Like, he didn't, it's not like Jesus didn't know the plan. Like, when he was in heaven, when he comes down to earth, he knew exactly what was going to happen on that day. His whole life is leading up to it, 30 years on earth. And he knows what's coming. It says he's sweating great drops of blood in the garden, saying, God, if there's any other way. And God said, there's not. I love you, but there's not. This is the only way we can save them. This is the only way we can save the people that we love. Jesus says, okay, I'm going to do it. What a great example. It brings us back to the verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Yes, this includes mom and dad. They're part of the others. They're part of those that we look to with their best interest above our own. The good news is God is not going to ask your parents to stab you, okay, because Jesus was the sacrifice. We don't need human sacrifices like ever, like Jesus was the sacrifice. He took that on himself. So your parents are not going to ask you to let them stab you. But what they will ask is for you to sacrifice. And what God, moreover, will ask you is to sacrifice your time, your will, your desires, your expectations about what your plan for life is. God wants all that. He wants you to surrender it. It's about his will, not ours. Remember, point number two, going back to it really quick, it's about God's will. God's will for your life right now is for you to humbly submit to your parents, to volunteer tribute, to say, I volunteer, to give honor where honor is due. Not, ugh, fine, I will because I have to, ugh. And a lot of times that's what it is. I remember what it was like. That's how it was for me a lot of times. To volunteer the honor that God says your parents are due. God says in the Bible, one of the top commandments, honor your father and mother and you'll live long in the days that I have given you. A lot of times we get into fights in our parents, yeah? Anybody want to admit to that? Anyone ever fought with their parents? Anyone ever fight with their parents? Okay, I want to give you guys a quick scenario, okay? Let's say that I have Homer Simpson's job and I work in a nuclear power plant, okay? So let's say I work in this power plant, and I'm sitting at the controls, and my boss comes over to me. And he's like, you're not doing a good job. Like, you need to straighten up. Like, you need to get this together. We're, we're counting on you here at the power plant. What if, like, I didn't like the way my boss was talking to me, so I got so mad and furious at my boss that I just started fuming, and then I was, like, being careless, and I, like, angrily pressed a button that set off a nuclear explosion and, like, killed a bunch of people? Who's going to be at fault? Me, Right? I'm going to be at fault, okay? It's my fault. A lot of times, we are setting off bombs in our home because we don't respect the authority. Sure, our parents might not talk to us sometimes the way we want to be talked to. Sometimes they're aggravated at us. They're human. But a lot of times, we respond to their punishments. 
We respond to their actions. We respond to their, even just like things like, hey, did you clean your room? Oh, I told you, like I did. Like, what? like we can freak out. And our parents, so easy. I remember, I did. I did. Guys, according to God, just like if I had a boss in my life, those of you guys who work, your boss is an authority in your life that God has put in your life. I don't care if he's a Christian or not. God has put him in your life as an authority. Your teachers are an authority God has put in your life. Your parents are absolutely an authority God has put in your life. When we disrespect them, we disrespect God. It's like a slap in the face to him. A lot of us are setting off nuclear bombs in our family. We're doing damage. Here's a quote from Katniss. Okay, the great theologian Katniss Everdeen. Fire is catching, and if we burn, then you burn with us. Guys, if you're starting fires in your homes, if you're burning with rage, a lot of times your family is going to end up burning with rage with you. It's pretty basic. It's pretty basic. If you're fired up with rage, you're going to burn and your family is going to burn with you. Now, please don't understand. I'm not, I'm not saying that your family is going to burn in hell. I'm not saying like, I don't want you to go home and be like, would you learn a Bible study? Aaron said that if we get mad at each other, we're going to burn in hell. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about damage. I'm talking about your family because we, because you can choose to be selfish, to put your own needs and wants and desires above that of your family, to respect and just submit. You can put a lot of damage and a lot of fires. Think about it. Your parents found out you sinned. You did something bad. They take away your phone. They ground you. They say, you can't talk to that person anymore. They say, I'm taking away the Xbox. And what happens? You explode. Just, how could you do this to me? You're ruining my life. If I can't play Minecraft, I will literally die. I have a medical condition. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. We can say, you're, that's not fair. You're such a jerk. I hate you. We say stupid things. We accuse our parents of being horrible. And they're standing there remembering when we were little. And now we're older and we're treating this way. What happened? It was, it's sin nature. It's rebellion. The Bible says rebellion's the sin of witchcraft. Listen, if you've been setting off bombs in your home, bombs of disrespect, you need to give that to Jesus. Listen, I, I know because I've had many talks with some of you that you struggle to get along with your parents. I know it's a struggle. Remember earlier? Aim higher lest you fall short. God's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for you to hear this Bible study and then you go home and then if you get another fight with your parents, you're, you feel condemned and just like terrible. Listen, you're going to mess up. You're going to fail. But aim higher. Shoot higher. Try to hit that mark. Try your best to make peace in your home. And Jesus takes care of the rest. What does it mean? Maybe it means when mom is just being so like ir just irritating. Maybe it's you're not going to say what's on your mind because you know it might hurt her and make the matters even worse. Maybe you're going to stop and pray. You're going to give it to God. Maybe it means you're not going to argue. That was my problem. They called me the little stinking lawyer because I always had to talk my way out of everything and just make a big case about why nothing was my fault and why it was everyone else's fault. Maybe for you, it's, you're going to stop arguing and you're just going to take what you got. Maybe for you, it's going to, you're going to accept your punishment. You get punished, maybe you're just going to accept it. You're not going to try to lie your way out of it. You're just going to give it to God. Maybe for you, you're going you're gonna to take your parents' advice and honor them. Listen, remember, your parents have walked the path of life before you. And for many of you guys, they, they blazed the path of life for you. They got three jobs when you were little so that you could afford the things you want now. 
They stayed up late and worked hard and balanced budgets so that you could be secure. They did things for you because they love God. And I know, I know all of you guys don't have the same parents in the same situation, but for many of you, your parents worked very, very, very hard to get you where you are now. Your parents have lots of advice. Hamish had advice. Here's some advice. Stay alive. It's short. It's simple. It's sweet. Some of you guys know when you talk to mom and dad and you want advice, it's going to be like a two-hour long thing. But listen, sometimes it's worth it because sometimes your parents do have a lot of good things to say. I've had parents before call me and they're like, Aaron, that thing you told them, I've been telling them that for like three months and then only when you said it, they listened. That's not right, guys. Your parents have so much to offer you. I dare you, ask your dad for some advice soon. Whatever you're dealing with, go to your dad. Just be like, dad, what do you think of this? Go to your mom. Just be like, mom, I need your help with this situation. You'll blow their minds. I know some of you guys don't have a ton of respect for your parents. Aim higher. Shoot higher. Here's the last point, okay? Follow with me. We're almost done. Last point. This gets a little mythological. Does anyone here like mythology? Of course, we don't believe mythology, but we can enjoy mythology, just like we can enjoy superheroes. So a mythological creature is called a phoenix. My point here is a phoenix must die before it rises from the ashes. Let me take a moment to explain what this means. The identity of Katniss Everdeen There's lots of symbolism that is found in this. If you're a Hunger Games fan, I did some research. You'll be proud of me. I found out some things about Hunger Games, okay? So first, what is Katniss known as? She's the girl on fire, okay? So she is the girl on fire. She's put in a world where she has to fight to survive. She's passionate. She's like, I'm not, she's like, I'm going to take down the system. I'm going to fight for what's right. I'm not going to let my friends suffer. Like, she's passionate. She's missional. She has a mission for her life. She's like, I'm going to take out the enemy. I'm going to protect the weak. She has a fiery dress. That's cool. Peter's a little jealous. Okay, the next symbol is the Mockingjay. Does anyone know the history of the Mockingjay? Does anyone here read the book and you know the history of, like, what the Mockingjay is? Okay. All right. So the, the history of the Mockingjay starts with the Jabberjay. Who, I love that name. It sounds like a, like a blues musician. Like, tonight, it's Jabberjay. Who knows how to do the, the Jabberjay song? Anybody? There we go. Okay. So the Jabberjay were these genetically engineered birds that were planted in the woods, and they were there to pick up all these different things and repeat them back, and they were spies, right? Well, at some point, the capital, the people who engineered the birds, they thought they'd just leave them in the woods to die. But what the Jabberjays decided was that they were going to have some babies with the mockingbirds. So they had babies with mockingbirds, and together, a Jabberjay and a mockingbird creates a Jabberbird? No, a Mockingjay. Okay. It was something that was meant to die off that almost died but gave life to something new. It reminds me a lot of Christianity because the enemy has been trying to squash Christianity. There was a guy named Voltaire. He was a Frenchman, and he was a snob. Not that all French people are snobs, but this guy was because, listen, he was an atheist, and he said, ha, 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 the Bible, it will never last. A hundred years from now, it will be nothing but a faint memory. Excuse me for my terrible French accent. 50 years later, they used that man's home after he died to print Bibles. They turned his house into a Bible 
printing press. And it's been over 120 years since Voltaire died, and the Bible's still the number one selling book out there. God is not going anywhere. His word is not going anywhere. It is true and it is relevant. Christianity, the enemy has meant for it to die off, but it is still going strong. The Mockingjay is a symbol of rebellion. A girl on fire plus a Mockingjay creates a phoenix, okay? So a phoenix in mythology is a fiery bird. A bird out of an ancient mythology, the phoenix, was said to die by burning itself up and then rose again from its own ashes. For obvious reasons, the early church picked up this phoenix symbol as a symbol for Jesus Christ. So again, our last point is a phoenix must die before it rises from the ashes. Why is this? Okay, this is my finishing stuff here. Because, think about it, what did Jesus do? How is Jesus like this mythical bird? Jesus died. Did he stay dead? No. His death gave life. He rose from the ashes like the phoenix. And as a Christian, what are we called to do? Does anyone know? What are we called to do? What does the Bible call us to do? Three-letter word. Starts with a D, has an E at the end. Die! So smart. (laughs) Listen, as Christians, we're called to die. Not literally. Please don't, don't take that the wrong way. We're not called to literally die. We're called to spiritually die. We're called to have death to ourselves and our flesh and our wicked desires. And we're called to rise from the ashes of what we once were. Jesus says you are risen together in Christ. The old man is gone. We're called to live a life on fire for Jesus Christ, fully allowing Jesus to live his life through us. I'm going to tell you guys one more Bible story, and then we'll close. This Bible story blows me away. I love it. Has anyone familiar with Paul and Silas? Okay. I love this story. Paul and Silas are out, like, living their life on fire. These are two guys in the early century after Jesus has died and rose who are just on fire. They're street witnessing. Who went with us to Encinitas? Okay, that was awesome. Like seven people got saved. We'll talk more about it on Sunday. It was super cool. Tons of seeds were planted. People heard the gospel. I was so proud of all of you guys for coming. You guys blew me away with just how much you came and you prayed and you supported what we were doing. But Paul and Silas, like that's all they're doing. Like they're, they're constantly just on the streets telling people about Jesus and they get thrown in jail for it. They get thrown in jail. If I went down to Encinitas and I got arrested for preaching the gospel, I'd be upset. I'd be like, this is America. This isn't supposed to happen. This is terrible. Get my lawyer on the phone. I don't have a lawyer, but I'd be upset. Paul and Silas, you know what they did? They didn't complain. They didn't cry. These guys got thrown into jail, interrogated. They're locked up with shackles. You know what they start doing? They start singing worship songs. God puts it on their heart, sing some songs. Praise God. Worship him. So they're in this jail cell, and they just start singing these praises and hymns to God. And everyone in the jail is like, why are they singing? This makes no sense. These guys are in jail, just like the rest of us. All of a sudden, God causes this massive earthquake, and everything starts shaking, and they're singing praises, and everything's shaking. And all of a sudden, the shackles break off of them, and the jail doors fly open, and all of the prisoner shackles come off. And the guy 
who's running the jail. It's his job to keep all the prisoners. He grabs a sword and he gets ready to kill himself because he's like, all the prisoners are going to escape and then they're going to kill me in a horrible way. They're probably going to crucify me because that's what the Romans did. And Paul and Silas come up and they go, hey, 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 no one's left. Like, we're all here. Don't kill yourself. Can we tell you about Jesus? And then they tell him the gospel, and that guy gets saved, and his family gets saved, and I'm sure the prisoners got saved. This is an amazing story to me. It goes back to the verse. Do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing for yourself. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Who did Paul and Silas value? They're in a terrible, terrible time of their life. They're imprisoned. They're shackled, but they value the prisoners. And they value the jailer, the guy who's keeping them locked up. They didn't care about themselves. They weren't complaining. They weren't saying, God, get us out of this. God, why'd you put me in this jail? Like, why is this happening? They're like, God, what do you want us to do? You want us to praise your name so that the other people in the prison can hear your name being glorified? Okay, let's do it. And God delivers them. They weren't crying in their time of need. They weren't depressed. They weren't like having the worst time. They were singing songs of praise and God does the impossible and frees them. Listen, sometimes we're in a prison. Whether it's a prison of despair, of de- prison of depression, maybe it's a prison. Maybe you feel like you're in a prison right now because someone in your family is sick. Maybe you feel like you're in a prison right now because you're dealing with depression. Maybe you feel like you're in a prison right now because things are just not going good in your family. Or maybe you feel like your group of friends is is leaving you. Or maybe you're here at the school and you've heard that our school is closing down. Your heart is broken. You're like, what am I going to do next year? This, This year just feels like a prison. Sometimes we can be in a prison because of outside circumstances. And sometimes we can even be, if we're honest, in a prison of our own making. What I mean by that is, Sometimes we're in trouble. Sometimes we sin. We messed up. We get caught. And your parents come to you with a punishment, and you find yourself in a prison of your own making, whether it's you're grounded or something got taken away from you. And you find yourself in this prison of punishment. I mean, who's been there? Anybody? Who's ever been in what you felt like was a prison of punishment? Grounding, some stuff taken away, restrictions put on you. Okay, we've all been there. Okay? Whether you're in a prison of outside circumstances or whether you've built the walls of your prison around you by your sin, guys, listen, this is what the final thing I can tell you is praise him when you're in that prison. Whether it's outside circumstances or your own fault, praise him when you're in that prison. Praise him for the trials. Praise him for the testing. Praise him for the punishment because he loves you and he cares about you. Die to yourself and rise from the ashes to be a new creature. This isn't just what happens at camp. Guys, listen, I feel that God, I know this is long, but I feel like God is speaking specifically to some hearts here. God wants to do something special in your life. And what that is called is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know when you go to camp and you dunk yourself under and you come out and you're telling everybody, like, I'm standing for Christ? Well, another type of baptism is called the baptism of the Spirit. And that's where you go to God and you just say, God, I need a fresh filling. Recently, we had a church staff meeting, and our church staff said, if anybody needs a fresh filling of God's Spirit, we'll pray for you. And my dad and some of the other pastors went over, and everybody on staff, we went over and we got prayer. I got prayer. My wife got prayer. We actually got prayer together. Scotty got prayer. Like, we all went over, not because we're like, we're terrible people, and like, we come to confess. Like, we, we know we're terrible people. We know we're sinners. 
it's not about that all the time. Sometimes it's about just going to God and saying, God, I'm weak. God, my circumstance around me has got me down and I'm frustrated. Or maybe it's God, I've sinned and I've messed up and there's this prison around me of my own punishment. God, I need you to deliver me. I need you to help me to get through this. I need you to fill me afresh with your spirit. This isn't just something that should happen at camp. This is something that should happen on a regular basis. And I want to invite you to come up and pray with us tonight. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And we're going to close with some worship tonight. Uh, We're not going to go into small groups tonight, but we're just going to focus on worshiping the Lord. And as we're doing that, I want to invite you to come pray with us tonight. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you need prayer for, we want to be here for you. The counselors are going to be standing in the back. And we're just going to be here no matter what you need prayer for. We want to help you. And if you come to us and you're like, God, I need a fresh filling of your spirit. God, I need something fresh and new from you in my life. We want to pray for you that God would fill you and that you'd be new in him tonight, ready to face the challenges ahead that he has for you. I want to end with a quote. Katniss says, the great theologian Katniss, At some point, you have to stop running and turn around and face whoever wants you dead. The hard thing is finding the courage to do it. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He doesn't say ignore the devil. He doesn't say just pretend the devil's not there. He he doesn't say just don't think about the devil. He says resist the devil. He says to fight. And you guys are here tonight with issues. You guys are here tonight with problems. You guys are here tonight with struggles. Don't run from them. Don't ignore them face them. Look them in the eye and go, this is a struggle. This is a problem. This is a depression. This has got me down. Don't just ignore it. Don't just hope it'll go away. But look it in the eye and go, I need help for this. I need a filling of God's spirit. I need Jesus. And then you either pray tonight as we're worshiping between you or the Lord, or if you need prayer, you come back and pray with us. And we'd love to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you guys right now. Dear Lord, as we enter into this time of worship, I pray you'd be very near and dear to our hearts. I pray your spirit would speak to us, Lord. I pray we'd not run from our issues and our problems and our struggles, but we'd realize this is a place where we can just be honest with who we are. We all need help. We all need you. God, I pray you'd be there for us in a real way. Help us, God, to run to you, not to run from our problems, but to run to you and face the problem and fight it together. Help us, Lord, to put our trust in you. Help us, Lord, to esteem others greater than ourselves. Help us to go home tonight and love our parents like we've never loved them before with a love that understands that you've called us to love them and you've given us everything we need to love and respect our parents. If we would only surrender our will to you, help us to surrender tonight to bring honor to all those you've called us to. In your blessed holy name we ask, amen.